Well, good morning, church. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. And as you turn there, let's uh, turn our attention and our hearts to the Lord as we prepare to receive his word. Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of difficulty and pain, Lord, that you meet us there. Lord, that you provide your grace and your mercy. Lord, that you have promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And Lord, now as we turn our attention and our hearts towards your word, Lord, we pray that you would bless it. God, that you would teach us. Father, that you would encourage us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, uh, a number of weeks ago, I was on Zoom and I'm sure you've been on Zoom doing your meetings on Zoom. And I was on a meeting specifically uh, where we were going around and we were sharing uh, how we were doing, how our families are doing. And uh, in the midst of this, everyone kind of was sharing the same uh, feelings, the same things that they are experiencing. Some people shared that they feel really tired. Some shared that they feel worn out. Some shared that they feel overworked, that all that they're doing right now is working and it feels like there's nothing else to do but work. And then someone shared something that kind of struck me. Someone said, I'm ready for this to end. Kind of struck me a bit because you think about it, it's like that's part of what makes suffering so difficult is that when you're in the midst of it and you can't actually see a light at the end of the tunnel when it feels as though it's not going to end. It reminded me a number of years ago when my uh, grandma, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember hearing the news and then going and visiting her and seeing her, and we had a great visit. The only thing that was bad about that visit was knowing that she had cancer. And those days of her with cancer turned into weeks, and those weeks turned into months. And I remember going Uh, to her and seeing her, it would be the last time I'd see her. And it would be the only time in my memory I can remember her crying. And through tears, weeping, just feeling the weight of suffering and pain and the feeling the weight that it wasn't going to end. Each of us, each of us can resonate with this. Each, Each of us have experienced this when it seems like suffering It's never going to end. And each of us, when we're in these moments in our life, not only do we feel like suffering's not going to end, but oftentimes we begin to carry and ask questions like, where is God in this? Has God forgotten me? Has God abandoned me? Is all that I have to live for suffering in pain? And this morning we turn to Psalm 13, and I hope you are there. And in Psalm 13 we see that it is written by King David. And we find King David in what is one of the most dark and depressing moments in his life. When he feels like the suffering has no light at the end of the tunnel. When it feels like God has in fact forgotten him and abandoned him in his suffering. And what we see in Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. And we see David wrestle and struggle through this moment in his life. And for some of us right now, we're in these very moments. 
We feel the weight of suffering. We feel the, the, and there's no end in sight for the pain and the experiences that we're going through. And some of us right now are in a season that is going relatively well. Yes, there's challenges and yes, circumstances are tough, but some of us are in a good season. And whether we're in the midst of a season like this or whether we're in the midst of a terrible season, there's something for us here in Psalm 13. We can learn to biblically lament, to to wrestle through these feelings and moments and experiences in our lives. And we're going to see David wrestle through his experience when it feels like God has in fact forgotten him when it feels like God has left him, when it feels like his suffering has no end in sight. And he laments, and uh, we're gonna read our psalm, but we wanna ask, what is lament before we read it? What is biblical lament? And lament is is crying out to God. I'm sure you think lamenting is crying, yes, but it's crying out to God. It's, It's getting before the Lord and it's crying out to him our fears, our frustrations, our pain. And it's being honest with him to get back to a place of hope in the Lord, of trust in the Lord, of joy in the Lord. So we're going to join David in the valley this morning. And we're going to get a lesson in lament. So I hope you're there. Psalm 13, uh, you can follow along with me. Verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long Will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What we're going to see in Psalm 13 is three practical points that are going to so instruct us in how we can lament when it seems like God is silent when it seems like the suffering has no end in sight. And to give a little context is that there's, uh, we really don't know the context of of Psalm 13. That uh, it doesn't really identify uh, when this is happening in David's life. What we know though of David is that there are so many moments that this Psalm could have fit. We know that David, he was a man, he was familiar with deep and painful suffering. But we don't know the context. What we do is we know one thing for certain, that David is deeply depressed, that God's people aren't immune to moments and experiences of deep darkness. David wasn't. We aren't. We're going to see these three points to lament when it seems like God is silent. And this is our first point that we see that David does lamenting in this moment, this dark, depressing moment. When God seems silent, he brings his sorrows to the Lord. David brings his sorrows to the Lord. Look with me again at verse one. How long, O Lord? He addresses the Lord. He doesn't go somewhere else. He brings all of these things to the Lord. 
And we're going to see just how dark of a place he's in. We see in verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David, think about this. David, the man who was chosen by God out of his father's field. He was shepherding sheep and God shows him, anointed him to be king over his people. This David feels like God has forgotten him. The omnipresent, all-knowing God has somehow forgotten David. This is how David feels. And David's not the first to feel this. There are so many examples in the scriptures of when people have felt like God has forgotten them. In fact, God's people felt this way. And the prophet Isaiah actually speaks to the people of God in Isaiah 49. And this is what he says. He says in Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16, he says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God's people felt this way. And God responds and says, can a nursing mother forget her child? Even these may forget. It's unlikely, but it's possible. Even these may forget, but the Lord says, yet I will not forget you. Yet here is David. And he feels as though God has forgotten him. This is his perception of things. It might not be true, but this is how he's feeling. And he brings it to the Lord. And then he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Feels as though God's face is actually being hidden from him. And God's face towards his people, we know, is God's blessing, God's peace in his presence towards his people. We know this from number six, verses 22 to 27. And it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God's face towards his people was his blessing, his presence and his peace. And David felt none of it. He felt as though God was actually hiding his face from him. And not only is David in such a bad place with his relationship with the Lord and feeling abandoned and forgotten in God's face, hidden from him. Verse two, it says, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David, he sees his relationship with the Lord. It's not good. And then he begins to look inwardly and he's thinking on these things and it only breeds more depression and sorrow. He's left to himself in his depression and it's not good. It's dark. Some of us have been there. And on top of that, so on top of David being depressed in his relationship with the Lord, depressed with himself, he looks out to his circumstances. And this is what it says at the end of verse two. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? He looks at God. He looks at himself. He looks out. Everywhere he looks, it's not good. It's not good. He's in a dark place. Yet, 
yet he brings these sorrows to the Lord. He doesn't go somewhere else. He doesn't, just because he feels as though God forgotten him, it doesn't mean he doesn't go to God with these sorrows. He goes to the Lord with them. How many of us, when we have a type of illness or pain, uh, we have the instinct to go somewhere, right? Where do you want to go? We don't go to the pizza pizza guy when we have some pain or illness. We don't go uh, to, you know, somewhere else other than a doctor. We go to a doctor when we feel pain and we feel illness. That's our first instinct. We don't go somewhere where it can't be dealt with. And this is the point that David, he, he goes to the Lord. He chooses to talk to God about the pain. He identifies the questions he has. He identifies the pains and the frustrations and everything that's swirling around and raging in his soul. He brings it to the Lord. We need to learn from this. We need to bring our sorrows to the Lord. Some of us think and deal with the pains and the sorrows of life and we think, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to bottle this up and hopefully it'll just deal with itself and go away. David actually tried that. Verse 32, verse 3, it says that his bones wasted away in silence. That he tried to just bottle it up and be silent and it didn't help. Some of us think that that's the way to go and what we need to do is we need to bring our sores to the Lord. Some of us, each of us, the temptation is to go somewhere else other than the Lord. The, the temptation is to turn to sin. Some of us, we become lazy and we begin to turn to the, the pleasures of the flesh and indulge lust, indulge the, the fleshly appetites because in our sorrow and in our pain, we're just dying for some sort of comfort. And we think, you know what, if as long as I can get a few hours in front of the TV to numb my pain, as long as I can pour myself into some food in the fridge, that it will help in some way. And it leaves us worse off than we were before. Some of us, we actually swing the other way and we decide, you know, I'm going to keep my hands and my mind as busy as I can be so that way I don't have to think about it and I don't have to deal with the pain and the sorrow that's in my life. So we pour ourselves into work. Some of us, we let bitterness and we let fear creep in and it jades us and we see the world in a dark way, we need to stop dealing with our own pain. We need to go to the one place that we can bring it and it can be dealt with. We need to bring our sorrows to the Lord. We need to learn this lesson from David, that when God seemed silent to him, he still brought it to the Lord. Some of us right now need to get on our knees And we need to cry out to God and we need to bring our sorrows to him. But David, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop lamenting and just crying out to God with his pains and his problems and his frustrations and his suffering. He doesn't stop there. He begins to cry out in prayer. Look at verse three and four with me. It says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. When God seems silent, yes, we want to bring our sorrows to him, but we also want to boldly seek him in prayer. David, he, he cries out his problems, but then he turns his cry to prayer. He turns his cry to prayer and feel the urgency that he has, the desperation in these words. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David, he's trying to say, Lord, if you don't intervene, if you don't answer, the the weight of these sorrows feels as though I'm actually going to be crushed and I'm going to die by them. That if you don't intervene, Lord, it feels like my enemies are going to actually rejoice over me and be exalted over me. Lord, consider and answer me. But notice what David prays. He doesn't just cry out to the Lord in prayer. Notice what he prays. Notice what he prays. Look again with me. Verse 3. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes. Saying, Lord, Lord, you need to light up my eyes. Because God, I'm seeing things by my emotions right now. I'm seeing things by my feelings and my circumstances. And what I need to see is see things by the light. Lord, I'm seeing by the dark and I need to see things by the light. I'm seeing things by my emotions. And I need to see things by the truth. Light up my eyes. All of us, all of us have felt the terror of what it's like not seeing. My wife and I, our families both live uh, about an hour, hour and a half away uh, from Markham. So we often find ourselves uh, taking the 401 back to see them. And uh, uh, there's been a handful of times in the summer when we've gone back and we've uh, seen them. And uh, we often leave later at night so we can get back home and not have to fight traffic to get home. So we leave at night and there's been a handful of these moments when we're driving back, it's late at night, and we're caught in a torrential downpour. If you've ever been on the, the 401 driving 100 kilometers an hour in the dark, when there's a torrential downpour, and then everyone uh, is driving transport trucks, you know the feeling and the terror of not being able to see You know it's dark, but then you've got so much rain falling on you, and then you've got transport trucks shooting up all of this water into your windshield. And there's been a handful of moments when we've been driving back, and you can't see. And it's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying not being able to see in each of us. If you've ever been in a car at night in a rainstorm, you know the feeling. You know the terror of not being able to see. And each of us, each of us knows the terror of being in the midst of suffering and not being able to see. And we need to see. And David, in his wisdom, he understood this. He understood, Lord, from what I perceive, it seems, it seems as though you've forgotten me. It seems as though you're going to let my enemies prevail over me and you've left me in depression and sorrow. But in his wisdom, he recognizes, Lord, what I need is I need to see clearly. Lord, light up my eyes. 
Help me see things clearly. Help me see that, God, you haven't forgotten me. You have actually are always with me, Lord, that this isn't random what's happening, but you're actually sovereign over it. You're in control over it. You have a purpose and a plan in it that is for my good. God, that you're growing me in this, that you're sanctifying me in this. God, that you have promised that you're going to use all of these things to conform me to the image of your son. We need to see clearly. Even the apostle Paul, he understood the need that we have to see clearly. And he prays this for the uh, Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter one. And notice the wording that he uses. He says this in verses uh, 17 and 19, chapter one of Ephesians, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe and according to the work of his mighty power. He understood that we needed to see clearly in the midst of our walk with Christ in this life. Some of us, we are walking and seeing by our emotions and our circumstances right now. And we need to go and boldly seek the Lord in prayer. And we need to pray this, Lord, light up my eyes. Help me see clearly. We live in a society in a time when emotions and feelings are elevated to a level that they ought not to be for the Christian. But you know what's so great is uh, that we aren't taught to ignore our feelings either. We're taught they're not supposed to have a high place, that it's really the truth that we need uh, to, to put our trust and our faith in, not our feelings, but the scriptures also don't teach we put our emotions aside because we see in verses one and two, David, what does he do with all of his emotions? He brings them to the Lord. Yet in verses three and four, he recognizes and prays in wisdom, Lord, light up my eyes. Lord, I'm seeing things by my feelings and that's wrong, and that's not right, Lord. I need to see things by the light, by the truth of your word. Are you seeing that God is sovereign over your circumstances and your suffering right now? Are you seeing that God has a good and perfect plan for you right now? Do you see that even in this very moment of suffering, that we have an opportunity before us to bear witness and testimony to the hope that we have in Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that? Or are you seeing and despairing in your emotions? What you need to do is, again, you need to get on your knees. You need to cry out to the Lord and be honest with him where you're at, but then turn your cry to prayer. Desperate, urgent prayer, praying that the Lord would give you clarity, that he would light up your eyes. But David, he doesn't even stop there. What we see next is something amazing. Verses five and six, we see David, he goes from despair and depression to to trusting, to rejoicing, and to singing. He goes from trusting, rejoicing, and to singing. Look at verses five and six. 
It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David, at the beginning of this psalm, in the depths of depression and sorrow, now singing? What happened? How, how does this make any sense? How does he go from this place to here? How does he go from the depths of depression to trusting, rejoicing, and singing? It's prayer. It's prayer. It's his prayer and God answering his prayer. And now he sees things clearly. And this is our third point that when God seems silent, we want to bring our sorrows to him. We want to boldly seek him in prayer and praying for clarity so that we can get to the place that we can choose to trust in his steadfast love. Verse five, but I, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. <laughs> this is so amazing. What's, what's just so mind-blowing about this is that there's actually no indication, zero indication that anything in David's circumstances had changed. Nothing. Yet here he is trusting, rejoicing, singing, because he sees clearly now. He's not seeing by his circumstances and his emotions anymore. He's seeing things by the truth. He's seeing things by the truth. Notice the three things that he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. What is God's steadfast love? When we see that uh, term or that wording, God's steadfast love, God's steadfast love is God's covenantal, binding, unconditional love that he has for his people. And then we see that his heart, that his heart will rejoice in salvation. He recognizes that salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. And because of this, because of his steadfast love, knowing that God is for his people and that no matter what his circumstances look like, he knows his God is faithful, he can rejoice in the salvation that comes from the Lord. And he will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with him. No longer does he see and think the Lord's forgotten him, but the Lord is in fact dealt bountifully with me. This is what's so amazing, church, is that all of these things, all of these things, we know they are true and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Some of us are asking, how do I know that God's, I can trust in God's steadfast love? How do I, how do I know that I can get to a place and rejoice in his salvation? How, how can I know that God has dealt bountifully with me? How can you know Jesus? Jesus is the reason uh, that we can trust in his steadfast love, that we can rejoice in his salvation, that we can know that God has in fact dealt bountifully with us. The scriptures say that when we were enemies, enemies of God, deserving punishment, deserving eternal uh, damnation in hell, we see that God sent his only son his only son, because he loved us so that we, we could experience and have the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. 
David, he rejoices in salvation. How much more can we rejoice in salvation? Because salvation is not just a present reality and gift that we can have, that yes, we are forgiven of our sins, but with that gift, there's this attachment of hope that comes to it that we know where our forever is, that we are going to be face to face with Jesus. And because we know this, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. And how can we know that the Lord's dealt bountifully with us? because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, to not let a single experience and thing that we go through be for our bad, but it's actually for our good, the scriptures say. We can choose to trust in his steadfast love. I want to close with this. I was reading a a a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, about airplane pilots when they're in training. And when airplane pilots are in training, they are taught explicitly to always keep their eyes on the horizon. Any pilot, their instinct when they're flying is to always keep their eyes on that horizon because keeping your eyes on that horizon is going to help them uh, ascend in the plane properly and safely and descend in the plane properly and safely and also keep that plane level from uh, twisting or turning. Always to keep their eyes on the horizon. But what happens when you can't see the horizon? Because flying Sometimes you're flying in rainstorms or snowstorms or at night in the clouds and you can't see the horizon. What are pilots supposed to do? The instinct uh, of the pilot is to trust their own intuitions, to trust their own what is called spatial orientation, to basically feel their way through the circumstance of not being able to see. But pilots in flying school are explicitly taught, never, never, never trust your own intuition. Never trust your spatial orientation. Never trust your feelings when you're flying because of a phenomenon called spatial disorientation. It's the phenomena when you think you know where your body is, but you actually don't. And some of us, we've probably experienced this. Maybe you're going up to bed, you've turned off all the lights and you think you know where you're in your house and it's kind of dark, but then you actually don't and run into a wall, right? We've been there, stubbed your toe maybe. And in the case of the pilot, it's thinking they know where their plane is when they're flying, but they actually don't. That is why they're taught never to trust their intuition. So where are they supposed to look? Where are they supposed to trust when they're flying? If they can't see the horizon and they can't trust their feelings, what do they do? Pilots are taught to trust the gauges, to keep their eyes down and trust the gauges as you fly through the storm. Friends, the truth of God's word, his steadfast love, who he is, those are the gauges of the Christian life. Those are where we trust when we can't see. When it seems, when it seems dark, we look to what we know is true. We trust in what we know is true. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 11, he says something. He says something to the one who feels heavy, who feels burdened, 
who feels overcome with sorrow and pain. Jesus says one thing at the end of chapter 11 in the the gospel of Matthew. He says, come, come. (laughs) I love that. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brother, sister, right now, if you're heavy, if you're sorrowful, if you're in the midst of suffering and pain, Jesus says to you, come. That when it seems like God is silent right now in your life, when you're in a season, when it seems like God is distant and far, Jesus says, come. And you can turn to this psalm, Psalm 13, and you can sing this song. You can pray this song. You can lament when it seems like God is silent. And you can bring your sorrows to him. You can pour it all out. You don't need to hold it back. As we've seen, David, raw and honest, he brings it all. And then he turns his cry to prayer. And he prays, Lord, Lord, consider, answer me. Light up my eyes. Right now, you need to pray, Lord, help me see clearly. And then he gets back to a place. Lament doesn't end there in the crying. It ends here in the trusting. It ends here in the rejoicing. It ends here in the singing. So if you want to go from your sorrow and burden that you're carrying to singing, come, come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Cling to the promises. See by the word of God. See by the promises. See in light of who God is and not who you are and what you're seeing with your natural eyes, but seeing with eyes of faith. This is the invitation that we have this morning. And as we close, I want to close our time off in prayer. And I want to invite you right now, if you're in the midst of sorrow, if you've been overcome and overwhelmed by the circumstances you're in, you have an opportunity right now to lament, to get back to a place of trusting and rejoicing and singing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize, Lord, that we are needy. God, that life is hard and it's difficult, but God, we also know that uh, your word says you never leave us, you never forsake us. That Jesus himself says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Lord, I pray for the one right now who feels who feels like the sorrow won't end, who feels like the suffering won't end, who feels like you are in fact distant when you're not. Lord, I pray that they would be drawn to you, that they would bring your, their sorrows, that they would seek you in prayer. And Lord, that they would know that they can trust you, that you are faithful and true and that you always keep your promises. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.